my name is Patricia King and today I have an exciting message for you to hear stop what are you thinking we can't make it look like Patricia King is endorsing fighting <clears throat> hi folks uh, Chris Roseberry here just want to remind you fighting for the faith is listener supported radio that means we depend upon you your generous gifts and your financial contributions to continue to bring this important radio outreach to you as well as to the world. And unfortunately, we don't have the the major cash resources that Patricia King does, but we have you, our listener audience, to help uh, support us financially so that we can keep bringing this radio program to you and to the world. If you don't already support Fighting for the Faith financially, you can do so by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you'll see two friendly yellow buttons. One says donate, the other says join our crew. When you join our crew, you're signing up to automatically contribute $6.95 every month to the ongoing work and mission of Fighting for the Faith and Pirate Christian Radio. And there are perks to being a crew member. Just keep listening to the program to find out what the latest perk is. And, of course, if you would like to make a one-time contribution, you could do so by clicking on the Donate button. Or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and then send that to Post Office Box 508 Fishers, Indiana, zip code 46038. All right, on to the program. We loved making it. We hope you enjoyed listening to it. Here we go. It's time... For another edition of Fighting for the Faith, Wednesday, March 7th, 2012. Yeah, I will not be discussing the new iPad, and I will not be discussing Peyton Manning on today's edition of Fighting for the Faith. Just, you know, just saying, you know, that's not the kind of stories we talk about here. <laughs> Off topic. So there. For tuning in, you're listening to Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Roseborough, and I am your servant in Jesus Christ, and this is the program that dishes up a daily dose of biblical discernment, the goal of which help you to think biblically, help you to think critically, and help you compare what people are saying in the name of God to the Word of God. No shortage of crazy things being said out there, and the kind of the primary reason why there's so much confusion in the church is that People who call themselves Christians don't have their consciences bound to the Word of God. Instead, their consciences are bound to, well, their subjective experiences, their personal opinions. As a result of it, not all of their thoughts are being taken captive by the Word of God. And uh, we got people in the church basically promoting their own ideas. How do they come by them? Well, this is what I believe. And what I believe is important because that's what I think or that's what I feel or whatever. And, uh, you know, this is all kind of the lingering effects of a fight that really started uh, about 100 years ago. And uh, and it started 100 years ago with the modernist fundamentalist controversy in the United States. Now, uh, the, the word fundamentalist is a little bit difficult to pin down, but let's use it historically from like 100 years ago or so. And that was uh, fundamentalists or the fun the pe were people who affirmed the fundamentals of Christianity. So back at, during the time of J. Gresham Machen, between World War One, World War Two, uh, uh, you know there the, the the modernist controversy. There was these folks out there, the modernist liberals, who were denying a whole bunch of stuff that were cardinal doctrines. 
And so the battle lines were drawn really kind of on, uh, you know, in you know, five different fronts, maybe six, depending on how you count it. But uh, it, talking about the inerrancy of Scripture, that yeah, that's a fundamental you got to hang on to. The virgin birth and the deity of Christ, uh, the doctrine of substitutionary atonement, Jesus's bodily resurrection from the dead. Uh, it, you you can put kind of overarching the idea that you know miracles are possible and that Jesus was going to return in uh, bodily in glory to judge the living and the dead. So you know talking about eschatology. Now what happened is is that things kind of got squirrely in the history of those who affirmed the fundamentals when what happened is is that eschatology a particular view uh kind of the dispensational uh, rapture you know pre-trib rapture view of the bible became a fundamental itself and so that's where things you can say uh, the eschatology got to a point where it shouldn't have been and, and was put in the center a particular eschatological workout had to be affirmed as a fundamental of faith, and that's when things kind of went bad. But overall, in the early days of the uh, the movement itself, inerrancy of Scripture, virgin birth, deity of Christ, doctrine of the substitutionary atonement, Jesus' bodily resurrection, uh, miracles being possible, and Christ's return in glory to judge the living and the dead, uh, to, you know, to judge the living and the dead, all fundamentals, uh, cardinal doctrines of the Christian faith, that were to be affirmed, not denied. Um, you know, there's there's just no leeway on these things. Well, what happened is is that the well the um, the modernist liberals uh, had their say and basically said we're not going. Yeah, yeah, we can't be bound by that. This is the modern age. I mean, you can't believe in the virgin birth now that we have electric razors. <laughs> That's how Henry. Emerson Fosdick uh, argued, you can't believe in the virgin birth because we have electric razors and light bulbs now. <laughs> like somehow that does away with the virgin birth. But see, that was the idea. And so what happened is, is that the modernist liberals, they, they came up with what was called the Auburn Affirmation. And the Auburn Affirmation, they had their own, uh, their own tenets, if you would. And they, they can be distilled down to these kind of summary statements. They, the Auburn affirmation of the modernist liberals, they said the Bible is not inerrant. In, instead, the supreme guide of scripture interpretation is the spirit of God to the individual believer, not an ecclesiastical authority. And so therefore, what they did is they elevated liberty of conscience. Okay. And now, by the way, here's the, here's the funny thing. The modernist liberals were absolutely adamant that miracles were not possible, uh, you know, denying the virgin birth, denying Jesus' bodily resurrection, denying that Jesus walked on water. I mean, all of this stuff. And yet their primary tenet in their Auburn affirmation was that God, the Holy Spirit, it speaks miraculously, if you would, to an individual believer. So the idea is, is that liberty of conscience got, gets elevated to the point where we can be a Christian and, and our conscience decides and we're going to say God the Holy Spirit is leading us in this direction. Sounds like a miracle to me, doesn't it? Uh, to, to, how about you? But anyway, so that was the idea. And then you got the uh, – so they basically saying that uh, the general church assemblies had no power to dictate doctrine um, and, uh, and you know, things of that nature. But so the idea here is, is that um, – they also elevated this idea, division is deplored, okay, and unity and freedom are commended. So the modernist liberals were all about unity regardless of truth, regardless of doctrine. 
This is important stuff to know that historically it's the liberals who deplore division based upon doctrine. They deplore, deplore division based upon, uh, you know, truth, so to speak. And it was th those who were holding to the fundamentals of the faith historically who were saying, listen, if we don't have any unity, uh, in fact, we're, we're, you know, Machen was clear that uh, you know, the modernist liberals were not Christian. They were something other. We don't have unity with people who deny the virgin birth, the inerrancy of Scripture, Jesus' substitutionary atonement, the bodily resurrection, that miracles took place. All you know, we, we don't have any unity with somebody who calls himself a Christian and denies all of these things. And you know what? The fundamentalists, historically, uh, they were right, absolutely right. But now we find ourselves in a similar situation where basically, you know, um, what's happening in the visible Christian church is that we're being told that we need to have unity at all costs. Division is being deplored as being unloving and divisive, especially if it's division based upon truth, based upon doctrine based upon what the church has historically taught and confessed. We've seen all this before. And what is, what's going on here? We're exalting, once again, Auburn affirmation style, modernist liberal style, if you would, uh, the this idea that God the Holy Spirit can miraculously speak to the individual and that a, a per, an individual's conscience has liberty to believe whatever they want when it comes to what God has revealed in Scripture. And the reality is, is that no Christian, nobody who calls themselves a Christian has liberty of conscience when it comes to God's Word. We are to bend the knee have our minds and our thoughts be taken captive and our minds renewed and transformed by the word of God. When you come to the scripture and you say, I don't believe the scripture is inerrant, you're in contradiction, contradiction directly with what God's word says about itself. When you come to scripture and you say, yeah, I don't know if miracles are possible. Well, you're in direct contradiction to the word of God. You, you understand what I'm saying? So this idea that somehow God, the Holy Spirit, is going to move individual consciences to affirm or deny whichever doctrines they might feel free to what, that's ridiculous. All consciences within Christianity are to be bound to what God has revealed about himself. We're ambassadors, not policymakers. We, do, doctrine is revealed, not created. You, you understand what I'm saying? And so if we were you know, do a comparative study you know, the, and go along these lines of, you know, if we were to you know, take theology and compare it to another scientific arena, what would that science be? Uh, theologians in the past have readily acknowledged that theology is similar to astronomy. Astronomy, the study of stars and planets and quarks and things like that. And, and, and the idea is this, is that uh, there, there's no information that's created. It's all a matter of observation and understanding of what's there. Okay, So same thing with God's Word. There's, there's no new revelations that we need to contend with. We have a fixed canon and a good Christian theologian or a good Christian disciple of Jesus Christ, their job you know, as a disciple is to become an expert, if you would, at what's revealed in the Scripture. And believe me when I tell you, the Scriptures are easy enough 
that uh, you know a, a person brand new to the faith can understand what's going on, and there's so much depth to God's word and what he has revealed there that I don't think it's possible for a theologian to exhaust all of what is there is to learn and understand that's already there in God's word. The depth is uh, is boundless, almost infinite, if you, if you would, and, and yet we have a fixed book. And so, I mean, I'm always, and again, impressed and, you know, like have, like my head explode in a good way uh, when, uh, you know, when I'm, you know, struggling through a particular passage, especially when, when I'm translating from the Greek into the English. And, you know, and it's like all of a sudden the light bulb goes on and I go, wow, I never saw that before. I never understood that. Wow, how that makes me better understand what God has revealed here. And it kind of changes everything. It's, it happens all the time. But see, that's the thing is, is that God's word, God himself wants to be known because he's revealed so much about himself. And he wants us to know what it is that he's revealed. And so many people are distracted. Uh, distracted away from sound biblical doctrine, sound theology, and God's word, all in the name of chasing the latest move or wind of the Spirit. Got to knock that off. That's just pure, flat-out subjectivity. The Christian faith at its core is objective. What it is that we are to believe, teach, and confess does not does not innately or uh, intuitively exist within the believer. Instead, it exists in an objective canon of Scripture that is outside of us that we are to read, study, mark, inwardly digest, meditate on, memorize, and learn and become proficient in. Because by doing that, we learn to think God's thoughts, the thoughts that he's revealed in Scripture for us to think. We begin to see the world the way God sees it because of, the, of what he's revealed there. And so many Christians are so distracted, and they somehow think that oh, a couple of verses out of context, here's some life principles there, and bada bing, bada boom, and, you know, hey, I'm obeying God. Yeah, no. Um, it doesn't work that way. So uh, what we do here at Fighting for the Faith is we do the comparative work and encourage you to become careful students of God's Word and to listen with discernment to anybody who is a, is a teacher within the Christian church, and that includes me also. Um, because I am a sinful, fallen human being, I am capable of, well, pretty serious error myself. And so, um, you know, I make every effort to make sure that what I teach and what I bring to you here at Fighting for the Faith is in accord with what God's Word says, but because I'm sinful, it's possible that I didn't understand it, or I miss, or, or I'm still uh, misunderstanding these biblical texts based upon idolatrous presuppositions. All of that is possible, but the idea here is is that we help you put in place the skills that you need to become more proficient and biblically literate, so that you may listen to better understand what God's word says, and to learn how to appreciate good preaching and how to spot bad preaching and false doctrine. All important skills for any Christian to have, and we try to have a little bit of fun along the way. <clears throat> talking about a little bit of fun along the way. Let's talk about what we're going to talk about on today's edition of Fighting for the Faith. Um, I, Oh, man. Okay, so yesterday somebody on my Facebook wall put a link up to a church that I had never heard of. It's uh, The name of the church is... Uh, Destiny Christian Center in Dell City, Oklahoma, and um, they're going to be do 
they're going to be doing a sermon series on the Titanic. And um, it's it's supposedly some kind of an interactive sermon series. And the question is, will you be a survivor? And uh, and so I I go, oh man, I've I've got to uh, add that to my collection of bad sermons. So you know, because I I think I have the world's largest collection of awful sermons. And so, but they haven't preached it yet. But I so as I was digging around on their Vimeo account and in their on their website, oh man, I found <laughs> found a video that I have. I had to pass along. In fact, if you uh, if you follow the RSS feed uh, for the Museum of Idolatry, I'm the curator for the Museum of Idolatry. You can find it at a little eleven dot com. Um, it's kind of a two pieces to the this particular exhibit that I posted today, and I apologize for what it is I'm about to say, but I'm just reading the name of the video. The name of the video is "Butt Prints in the Sand." We've all you, you we've all heard and read that famous and beloved overly used kitschy Theo poem about footprints in the sand. Well, Destiny Church in Dell City, Oklahoma has come up with their own video uh, remake, if uh, if you would, of um, uh, footprints in the sand called butt prints in the sand. And we're going to be talking about that. In fact, because, <laughs> I, because I spent so much time on their website, I chose them for our today's sermon review and we're going to be uh, in hour number two. We're going to be reviewing a sermon from Destiny Christian Center in Dell City, Oklahoma. And um, the name of the <clears throat> sermon is "Jesus Wants You to Stop Whining." And they actually have a T-shirt graphic that they've created for this. And if you want to see it, you can see it at, at the Museum of Idolatry. Both the butt prints in the sand video and the "Jesus Wants You to Stop Whining" um, T-shirt uh, design are available at the Museum of the of Idolatry for you to view. So we're going to take a look at that. I've got a blog post that I want to pass along to you today entitled, Where are the churches for people who like church? Where are the churches for people who like church? Which is a fine question to be asking and a blog post worth passing along. And uh, and then we're going to switch gears and talk a little bit. Uh, just There's a little bit more um, regarding this Rick Warren Kingsway thing. I, I've talked about it several times on the program, and uh, what's interesting is is that yesterday I spent uh, quite a bit of time on the phone with Jim Hinch of the Orange County Register, and uh, one of the things uh, he noted, and I had had noted it as well, is that when Jim Hinch's original article appeared at the Orange County Register, he had a link to the Islamic Society of Southern California's website where they discuss the Kingsway document and its and the event that took place at Saddleback Church. And what's interesting, if you were to click on that link today, um, the original post has been, well, doctored. It's been edited. The photographs of the Kingsway event at Saddleback have mysteriously whoosh disappeared. Um, but luckily, I you know we I had screenshots. So um, you know I if, so I'm going to be re- uh, reviewing. Um, the original document, which because I think it's interesting. So we're, we're asking the questions. The, the question today, is there a King's Way cover up that's going on at Saddleback? And uh, I just would like to present to you some of the evidence that might suggest that there is a King's Way cover up going on. So we'll, we'll do that. Um, and uh, and then, oh, boy, um, we've got a uh, televangelist uh, update, uh, Benny Hinn. Uh, is uh, going to teach us about the coming 2012 wealth transfer. 
have you positioned yourself in such a way that you can uh, participate in and benefit from the 2012 wealth transfer? Well, Benny Hinn's going to explain to us how that's done. So, um, you know, what I would recommend doing is, if you can, you know, make yourself comfortable. Uh, fuzzy bunny slippers, if you have them, they do enhance your uh, your listener experience. That's going to be vital. Um, so, you know, we're going to dive into the program proper. But I think before we do that, I do think it's important that we play this. Warning, fighting for the faith can be dangerous to your health. Listening with caution is strongly urged while doing any of the following activities. Operating heavy, deadly equipment, playing Farmville, or any time-wasting, brain-numbing activity. For sudden awakening at the sound of a particularly stupid isogetical statement could cause neck strain. Drinking liquids, drinking hot liquids, having liquids too nearby, not having any liquids nearby. The following medical conditions have been known to occur while listening to Fighting for the Faith. Cranial keyboard embedment syndrome, sinu-nasal liquid spewment disorder, steering wheel pounding clenched fist strain, continual gaping dry mouth atosis, and frustrative disbelief brain explosion. Please take proper precautions. Drinking straws, padding, and duct tape are recommended. Are you familiar with the... Um poem footprints in the sand you know the story about how there was two sets of footprints down the beach you know and it was in this dream and and then at times there was only one set of footprints and and, and the punchline is that you know jesus it is, it is revealed that jesus was carrying that person for part of the time i mean i've you know, i've seen this done a gazillion different ways in the um the the, uh, the religious tchotchke section of your local christian bookstore but um, somehow I don't think that this rendition is going to make it into an edition that people would want framed and posted in their homes. But um, via Destiny Church in Dell City, Oklahoma, it's a remake of Footprints in the Sand, now known as uh, Buttprints in the Sand. Here. One night I had a wondrous dream. One set of footprints there was seen. The footprints of my precious Lord. But mine were not along the shore. But then some stranger prints appeared. And I asked the Lord, What have we here? Those prints are large and round and neat. But Lord, they are too big for feet. My child, he said in somber tones, for miles I carried you alone. I challenged you to walk in faith, but you refused and made me wait. You disobeyed, you would not grow, the walk of faith you would not know. So I got tired and I got fed up, and there I dropped you on your butt. Because in life there comes a time when one must fight and one must climb, when one must rise and take a stand, or leave their butt prints in the sand. Oh, man. I just, I, no comment necessary. Let's just move along. From the blog entitled Thoughts from My Reformed Self, the headline reads 
Where are the churches for people who like church? This is a great question. Where are the churches for people who like church? Uh, the blog post reads, um, I guess I I just must be a little strange. I like going to church, and I'm starting to think that I must be quite a rarity. Anyone else out there starting to feel like an endangered species? I was looking around the web uh, of churches around our area. I came across one nearby that said that they started this congregation with the vision of establishing a church for people who don't like going to church. Well, from what I've seen, they have quite a bit of competition. I get a new flyer every month for a church starting up with the same mission, and the ones that are already established seem to be headed in that direction as well. This sort of begs the question, where are the churches for people who like church? You know, This is a great question because here's the deal. You know, I get these marketing pieces in my uh, in my mailbox too, like on a weekly basis. It's like it's gotten to be just kind of like a ridiculous thing every week, every single week. You know, it's who's sending out the latest uh, this or that, trying to tell me that I need to come to their church that that is for people who don't do church or for people who don't like church. It seems like all the churches are for people who don't like church, but. I don't even know what that means anymore, but I mean, they're all like a dime a dozen. I mean, and here's the other thing. I mean, every one of these seeker-driven churches, at least annually, does an entire sermon series about sex, and they all claim that the church doesn't talk about the subject of sex. But since they're all going seeker-driven and they all talk about it annually, doesn't that mean that the church, like, is always talking about sex, and yet they always make the claim that no one's talking about it. It, it doesn't make any sense to me either. Anyway, uh, the, the blog post continues. In, in case someone is thinking of starting yet another church and wants to tap into a neglected segment of society, I'd like to make my voice heard, and, and, and here is what I have no interest in finding in church. So this person saying they like church, so they're not looking for a church for people who don't like church or don't do church, and so here's what they don't want. They don't want music that's similar to what the, you can hear on the radio that's hitting the Billboard's top uh, 40. He says, I can turn on the radio for that. I'm not looking for marriage or financial health or parenting advice. I can watch Dr. Phil or Oprah or Dr. Oz for that or visit the self-help section at the bookstore. I'm not looking for help with my self-image. I don't know about other people, but I have always had far too high of an opinion of myself and can use someone taking me down a few notches. I don't need, uh, I'm not looking for uh, the spiritual meaning that can be found in the latest movies and TV shows. I watch movies and TVs to be entertained, not to grow spiritually. And uh, I don't want uh, to be spending two or more hours on Sunday morning in church for the unchurched. And then being told if I actually want something more than what I've uh, listed above, I need to spend additional time in a small group during the week. I, I homeschool four kids, and that's a bit of a challenge as it is to set one day aside for my local congregation. So here is what I happen to love that I will not generally find outside of the church and lately can't seem to find in church either. But I, here's I love sharing the Lord's Supper with other believers. Okay, yeah, I'm with you. I love hymns, at least four verses, no skipping. Uh, you know, so you you do the whole do the whole hymn. 
Um, someone, he said, I, I, someone, I love someone reading lots and lots of scripture out loud and then telling me what it means because they have spent the week studying it and consulting commentaries, not asking me what it means to me. I like a pastor teaching straight through the scripture again, no skipping. I love hearing the gospel that Christ died for my sins and was raised for my justification. I never stop needing that. I like hearing it from the pulpit and through the Lord's Supper and declared through the sacrament of baptism. If there's anything else that someone might add, uh, like to add to this or simply want to comment, I, I welcome your input. I'd like to know if I'm alone in these feelings Am I strange or actually uh, to actually like church? Um, well, well, I don't know if you are strange or not, but this is a fantastic blog post. Where are the churches for people who like church? Um, by the way, I I love all the same things that you do, and I could care less about any of the things that you care less about too. I'm not interested in top forty music, financial health, marriage advice, self help with my self image. I don't like exegeting movies or TV shows or. Uh, and then being told that uh, I'm being selfish because I, I don't want that in church. I love weekly, weekly getting the Lord's Supper, singing fantastic hymns from the you know from across the spectrum of of the millennia of uh, Christian history. Um, yeah, God's Word preached in context. Yeah, a big, big, big pieces of it, a week at a time. Um, you know, yeah, hearing the gospel, I never gets old for me either. So. Um, yeah, we may we may be um, strange in you know in these times, but historically that's what Christians have really valued. Strange that we don't value that anymore. So great blog post, by the way. I, I might have to send that out uh, today on Facebook and Twitter just to uh, reiterate because I just thought it was a great uh, uh, great post. Purpose it keeps you going strong like a car with a full tank of gas. Everyone else has a purpose, so what's mine? Oh, look, here's a penny. It's from the year I was born. It's a sign. Rick Warren update. I don't know how I know, but I... So uh, I asked the question earlier, and I'll kind of reiterate it here. Is there a Kingsway cover-up? Um, because just some strange things are happening out there on the Internet. And uh, and this was all kind of sparked with a conversation that I was having with Jim Hinch, the uh, Orange County Register reporter, yesterday on the phone. And uh, that is is that uh, when, the, uh, when his story first broke, there was a link that went to the Islamic Center of Southern California's website, to their blog, and the headline at that time read, ICSC co-authors historic interfaith document. That's what the story read at the time. However, if you go there today, the headline is different, and the content of that page is totally different. The, the headline reads, ICSC co-founds the Christian Muslim Consultive Group. 
and doesn't mention anything about Saddleback Church. In fact, currently what the site says is the Christian Muslim Consultative Group successfully launched the Standing Together Project, a seven-series study program to help bridge the gap between Christians and Muslims. The project includes an education workbook and a DVD, and our goal is to bring Christians and Muslims together to break down dehumanizing stereotypes, to build loving and compassionate relationships, engage with one another about our beliefs and practices, and there's a picture of Jihad Turk, co-author of the King's Way document, by the way, and the Reverend Dr. Gwyn Guibord. Uh, that would be a female pastrix from a mainline denomination. Nothing there about Saddleback. But see, that's the thing is, is that initially it went to a you know, the the well the initial content on that web page has well gone awol. It's gone missing. It's there's been a significant edit made like <laughs> it's it's so significant they they changed the headline and gutted the original content and changed it to this well i happen to have the original content by the way um and by the way if you want to see this it, it, it's over at apprising.org but uh you and you can see it there but um the original content of this uh, post read very differently and it makes me wonder, are we looking at a Kingsway cover-up? Here's what the original post said, and I'm going to kind of put some things into perspective for you. The original headline was ICSC, that's the Islamic Center of Southern California, co-authors historic interfaith document. Okay, And here's how it did read originally. Last Sunday, a historic event took place at Saddleback Church in Orange County, California. Saddleback is known for its famous pastor, Rick Warren, who delivered the prayer at President Obama's inauguration ceremony. The church, that would be Saddleback, hosted a number of Muslim communities uh, based in Southern California for its second annual celebration of Jesus. This event is significant because Saddleback is a very large evangelical church with over 22,000 members. Although only a select number of individuals were invited to this dinner, it demonstrates the new theological position of Saddleback. Let me reread that. Okay? So but just so you know, historically, this took place in December of 2011, so just a few months ago. And so a week after the event that took place at Saddleback, the Islamic Center of Southern California posted this blog post on their website and they said that there was a historic document unveiled there and that it demonstrates the new theological position of Saddleback. At the celebration, a document one year in the making was presented, which encourages Christian and Muslims to appreciate the similarities of our faiths. The document encouraged that our communities work together towards the common good and to combat bigotry in a one-two-three plan. The first step in the plan identifies the belief in one God. The second step acknowledges God's commandment to love your neighbor. And finally, step three is for our communities to commit to three things, making friends, building peace, and serving the world at large. The relationship with Saddleback Church was initiated over a year ago with a friendship between one of the pastors, Abraham Muhlenberg, and the ICSC's Jihad Turk. 
Pastor Muhlenberg reached out, having heard about the center and our interfaith work. From this friendship developed an institutional link between their respective organizations. Okay, by the way, the photograph there shows a PowerPoint presentation slide that was on the screen. So it shows Abraham Muhlenberg and Jihad Turk on the stage at Saddleback, PowerPoint slide being projected behind them. And the PowerPoint slide reads, King's Way. King's Way describes a path to end the 1,400 years of misunderstanding between Muslims and Christians by consulting the text we each call sacred in order to form a basis that allows us the privilege to serve the needs in our communities together. Okay? So so that's the weird thing is that, okay, now let's put this in its perspective. In this original blog post that appeared at the Islamic Center of Southern California's website, the Muslims in attendance at Saddleback interpreted what they saw and heard as it demonstrating a new theological position that Saddleback Church had come to. It talked about the Kingsway document, and in that document, uh, the common ground, the first step, was a plan that identifies the belief in one God. Now, that post went up mid-December on the Islamic Society of Southern California's website. It went up mid-December. At the end of January, in fact, January 27th of 2012, um, Jim Hinch left a comment. Okay, basically saying this is kind of interesting. A month after that, February, yeah, actually it'd be like 25th-ish, Jim Hinch's article regarding Rick Warren building bridges with Muslim appeared in the Orange County Register. And a few days after the appearance of Jim Hinch's article in the Orange County Register, this original blog post, which Hinch linked to, got significantly edited and the contents changed i mean this is like um warren gate i mean we got data that's we got information that's being whooshed off the internet surreptitiously just vanishing rick warren never acknowledging in his uh in his white paper last week that it didn't even acknowledge the the name of the uh, the Kingsway document or anything like that it, just acting like it wasn't there but yet it, by my count for two almost two and a half months two to two and a half months this blog post sat unchallenged unedited unchanged um, on the Islamic Society of uh, Southern California's website that said that Saddleback Church had a new theological position. And that po- theological position was outlined in the Kingsway document and um, that that acknowledged that uh, Muslims and Christians believe in one God. Hmm. Yeah, it just... Um, kind of fuels the conspiracy theorist um, uh, gristmill, if you would. Um, but so there it is. I, I, I'm reporting what was there, how long it was there, the fact that it's not there, and when it went missing. And again, if you want to see this, uh, you know, um, uh, apprising.org, Ken Silva has this screenshot posted on his website, worth passing along. Again, just asking the question, is there a Kingsway cover-up? 
going on at Saddleback? Why aren't they discussing this document? Why is it that uh, they have yet to publicly acknowledge, uh, you know, what's going on? Why are they covering up and uh, having, um, well, important evidence regarding this document disappear from the Internet? Strange behavior indeed. We're up on our first break. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address, talkback at fightingforthefaith.com, or you can ask to be my friend on Facebook. It's facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian, or you can follow me on Twitter. My name there, at pirate Christian. We will be right back. Unless your righteousness surpasses that of Rick Warren, you cannot be saved. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. You're listening to Pirate Christian Radio. We'll be taking your false doctrine now. <laughs> Siri, what is your analysis of the sermon Rick Warren preached this past Sunday? Let me think about that. Here you go. Rick Warren quoted 15 Bible verses out of context using 11 different translations and paraphrases. Even an iPhone utilizing artificial intelligence is smart enough to know that there is less than a 1 in 10,000 chance that Rick Warren was preaching the truth. Siri, can you explain your analysis of Rick Warren's sermon to somebody who is a fan of Star Wars? You have a greater chance of successfully navigating an asteroid field than you do of hearing Rick Warren accurately teach the scriptures. Have you ever prayed a sun stand still prayer? Why would I do something as silly as that? The story of the sun standing still in Joshua chapter 10 is not about prayer. Looking in Joshua chapter 10 to learn how to pray is like asking your Macintosh to teach you how to use Windows 7. What do you think of Joel Osteen's sermons? Is this a joke? No, this is not a joke. I'd really like to know what you think of Joel Osteen's sermons. Words like junk food, cotton candy, and cancer-causing artificial sweeteners come to mind. Pocket. Hi, Chris Rosebro here. If you're planning to travel anytime in the near future, then don't pay more for airfare, hotel rooms, or rental cars than you need to. 
Longtime Pirate Christian Radio featured advertiser Cheap O Air can save you a Tijuana taxi load of money on all of your travel needs. Plus, Cheap O Air has a seasonal promotional code for all of our listeners that will save you an additional $10 off of Cheap O Air's already low prices. Visit piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap, write down the promo code, and then click on the banner, and then book your travel today. Again, that's piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap. Warning, when your pastor begins to behave like a politician who's been caught with documents that he needs to shred, um, there may be a problem. Just a reminder, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means that we depend upon you and your generous gifts and financial contributions to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you and to the world. And you can partner with us financially by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com. And when you get there, you will see two friendly yellow buttons. One says donate, the other says join our crew. When you join our crew, you're signing up to automatically contribute $6.95 every month to the ongoing work and mission of Fighting for the Faith and Pirate Christian Radio. Of course, if you would like to specify the amount that you would like to contribute, you could do so by clicking on the donate button, or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and then send that to post office box 508 Fishers, Indiana, zip code 46038. Televangelist update here. one of those video cams, you know, it'd be uh, evidence against me. Precious body. 
for the love of money. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so uh, that's our televangelist update music. And uh, we're going to be listening to a teaching, <clears throat> part of a teaching that Benny Hinn uh, put out about uh, preparing three keys to preparing for the coming wealth transfer. <laughs> and listen carefully. You can easily tell who Benny Hinn's God is. It's not the God of the Bible. It's the green stuff. Uh, yeah, it's, it's, oh man, it's, it's, this is shameless, absolutely shameless. So yeah, in 2012, there's going to be a huge wealth transfer, transfer of wealth from people who watch Benny Hinn into Benny Hinn's personal bank account. I mean, you know, he's got a private jet and has, likes to stay in five-star hotels and resorts in Europe and places like that. So, you know, yeah, the, the 2012 wealth transfer is, well, they're greasing the skids for it right now. With this teaching, listen in. Thank you for joining me today. And I want to say thank you for being my wonderful partner. And I mean wonderful partner. Today, again, I continue with a teaching on how to make 2012 the greatest year you've ever known financially. I believe this year is going to be the year when things will turn around for you. Oh, wow. That's good. That's great news. I mean, so what do I got to do? Sign me up. You know, the Bible says, of course, I will restore to you the years the locust hath eaten. You know, we've had... Ye- uh, <laughs> okay, I will restore to you the years the locust hath eaten. Hmm. Who was God talking to uh, in that passage? And was he talking about literal locusts? I get the feeling he probably was. And it was probably not in me he was referring to. Notice the metaphorical locusts here. It's of famine and years of struggles and years of negatives. It's come to an end. Oh, good. This is the beginning of abundance. I want you to believe it with all your heart and now, the economy must be turning around and he wants to get in on it you know that's why you are a covenant child of god uh-huh okay sure i'm a covenant child of god is that the new covenant or the old covenant kind of matters don't you think you are walking in covenant and because i'm walking in covenant okay do you care to elaborate do you i mean you're just throwing those terms out there do you have a biblical teaching on that? And, you know, can you t- key me in here as to which covenant we're talking about? Covenant of the law, the Mosaic law, or the covenant of grace what, by Christ? I mean, you understand what I'm talking about here? You are in covenant. All things that God has promised to you will come your way. Uh, so that's how this works. So because I'm a covenant child of God, all the promises that God has promises, promised to me as a result of the covenant will now come to me. Hmm. Okay. The problem is is that the the, pre- the presupposition, the, the beginning premise here of this teaching is already, well, askew. It's uh, biblically off. It's uh, This isn't sound biblical teaching at all. In fact, if you have your Bible, flip on over to Galatians. Galatians, uh, let's, let's try chapter 3. Uh, Galatians chapter 3. 
Uh, here's what the Apostle Paul, he's talking, he's going to talk about these two covenants here. And uh, we'll, we'll kind of get this this all worked out. He says to the Galatians, who, by the way, were trying to save themselves via a combo of works and grace, obedience to the law and grace. And, uh, you know, and they were Judaizers. This is, in fact, over and again, one of the things that fascinates me is, is that uh, there's authors out there who publish books about, you know, the heresies that Christianity has faced in its history. And not very many of the books that discuss the heresies that Christianity has faced in its history actually begin with this heresy. And they ought to. And the reason why is because this heresy, the Judaizing heresy, um, was, you know, along with Gnosticism, one of the very, very first heresies faced by the church. And there was the very first church council was convened to address this heresy. And you can read about that church council in the book of Acts. I think chapter 15 is where it's discussed. But uh, Paul writing to the Galatian church who had mixed works and grace kind of unpacks a little bit of this information regarding the two covenants here. And so I'm going to read a large swath here, if you would, in uh, in the book of Galatians. Paul writes, he says, O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. So let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Hmm. Hearing with faith is the answer. Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit, are you now trying to be perfected in the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain? If indeed it was in vain, does he who supplies the Spirit to you and work miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Answer, by hearing with faith. So just as Abraham believed God and it was credited to him or counted to him as righteousness, so know then it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. Let me read verse 10 again. All who rely on works of the law are under a curse. Because it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and continue to do them. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by them. That does all the works of the law. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. That is, Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham, might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. To give a human example, uh, brothers, even with a man-made covenant, no one annuls it or adds to it once it's been ratified. Think of a contract once it's signed. Now, the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. That would be singular. It does not say offsprings, referring to many, but referring to the one and to your offspring, who is Christ. This is what I mean. The law, which came 430 years after Abraham, does not annul a covenant previously ratified by God so as to make the promise void. For if the inheritance comes by the law, it no longer comes by a promise. But God gave it to Abraham by a promise. 
So why then was the law added, or why was why the law? It was added because of transgressions, until the offspring, that's Jesus, should come to whom the promise had been made, and it was put in place through angels by an intermediary. Now, an intermediary implies that more than more than one, but God is one. So, is the law then contrary to the promises of God? Well, certainly not. For if a law had been given that could give life, well, then righteousness would indeed be by the law. But the scripture imprisoned everyone under sin so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. Now, before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ had put have put on Christ, therefore there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring and heirs according to the promise. So I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything. But he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, we were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but you are a son. And if you are a son, then you are an heir through God. Now, formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not gods. But now that you have come to know God, or rather, to be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world, whose slaves you want to become once more? You observe days and months and seasons and years, and I'm afraid I may have labored over you in vain. Skipping ahead a couple of verses to verse 21, I continue reading. Tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman and one by a free woman. But the son of the slave was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman was born through the promise. Now this may be interpreted allegorically. These women are two covenants. One is from Mount Sinai, bearing children for slavery, and she is Hagar. Now Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. She corresponds to her present uh, to present Jerusalem for she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free and she is our mother for it is written rejoice O barren one who does not bear break forth and cry aloud you who are not in labor for children of the desolate one will be more than the one uh, of those of the one who has a husband. Now you brothers like Isaac are children of promise. But just as at the time that he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the spirit, so also it is now. But what does the scripture say? Cast out the slave woman and her son, for the son of the slave woman shall not inherit the son of the free woman. 
So brothers, we are not children of the slave, but we are children of the free woman. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. So, all righty, I, I, I do all of that just to kind of point this out, okay, is that um, is Benny Hinn pointing us to the uh, the covenant of promise that Paul is talking about here in Galatians, or is he pointing us to the covenant of works, of slavery, of Mount Sinai, and the Mosaic law? It matters because... Well, what he's you're going to see it for yourself. I mean, it's actually unbelievable. But uh, we'll, we'll continue here. Here's a little bit more Benny Hinn on you know prepare the three steps you need to do to prepare for the coming wealth transference. Remember what it says in Deuteronomy eight eighteen, and I want to remind you, Deuteronomy eight eighteen. Hmm. I want to point something out to you real quick. Deuteronomy eight eighteen. Um, who is uh, being referred to there in Deuteronomy chapter 8? Well, to answer the question, let's go back to Deuteronomy uh, chapter 7. I'd like to point something out to you. <clears throat> Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 1. This is all part of a, a, an ongoing conversation that God is having with the children of Israel. Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 1 says, When the Lord your God brings you into the land that you are entering to take possession of it and clears away many nations before you, the Hittites, the Girgashites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, seven nations more numerous and mighty than you, and when the Lord your God gives them over to you and you defeat them, then you must devote them to complete destruction. You shall not make a covenant with them or show mercy to them. You shall not intermarry with them, giving your daughters to their sons or taking their daughters for your sons, uh, for they would turn away your sons from following me to serve other gods. Then the anger of the Lord would be kindled against you and he would destroy you. So by the way, chapter 8 is all part of this ongoing revelation that God is directly giving to the people of Israel. So uh, who's who's this talking to? Uh, well, this is talking to people under the Mosaic Law. These are commands literally under the Mosaic Law. So now we've got a problem. Uh, he's having us look at Deuteronomy 8, verse 18, out of context. And uh, would this be the covenant of Sinai or Hagar, or is this the covenant of promise under Abraham? As God's child, you have every covenant right to prosper. This is not an accident. It's a decision. I've been mm. telling you, prosperity, wonderful partner, prosperity is a decision. It's not a matter of luck. It's obedience. When we mm. So you'll prosper when you're obedient to the Mosaic law. Hmm. Didn't Paul just say in the passage that I read that cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law? Obey the Lord. He will prosper us. And so week after week, I'm coming to you to just build your faith. Because when your faith is stirred up and when your faith becomes strong, then God has something to work with. Uh, see, God can't work with you until then. Uh-huh. What a lame God. 
And when your faith is strong, God will prosper you. It's all about faith. You know that, of course. Now, Deuteronomy... No, actually, you're saying it's all about obedience. And there's the difference between those two. Read Galatians. 8.18 says, Thou shalt remember the Lord thy God. So we have to put him first and remember him. Uh huh. It is he, not your company or boss, it's God that giveth the power or the anointing to get wealth. Why? That he may establish his covenant, which he swear unto thy fathers, as it is this day. So all you and I need to do... Oh, hold on there, uh, Benny. That was uh, some slick, out-of-context uh, <clears throat> teaching there. Deuteronomy 8.18. By the way, the three rules for sound biblical interpretation are context, context, and context. And we, well, we just saw that from Deuteronomy 7, which is part of this ongoing dialogue here, uh, or maybe monologue that God is, you know, discussing with the children of Israel. That's who is being addressed. Uh, but when we put this back in context, is this saying that all we've got to do is obey and we will be prosperous? Well, let's take a look. Let's put it back in context. Deuteronomy 8, verse 11. Take care, God speaking to the children of Israel, take care lest you forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments and his rules and his statutes was I commanded you today, lest when you have eaten and are full and have built good houses and live in them, and when your herds and flocks multiply and your silver and gold is multiplied and all that you have is multiplied, then your heart be lifted up and you forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt out of the house of slavery, who led you through the great terrifying wilderness with its fiery serpents and scorpions and thirsty ground, where there was no water, who brought you water out of a flinty rock, who fed you in the wilderness with manna, uh, that your fathers did not know that he uh, that he might humble you and test you and do good uh, do you good in the end. Beware, lest you say in your heart, My power and the might of my hand has gotten me this wealth. You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the power to get wealth, that he may confirm his covenant that he swore to your fathers, as it is this day. And if you forget the Lord your God and go after other gods and serve them and worship them, I solemnly warn you today that you will surely perish like the nations that the Lord makes to perish before you. So shall you perish because you would not obey the voice of the Lord your God. Mm-hmm. Hmm, um, we got a problem here. Mosaic law, verse out of context from Deuteronomy that isn't a, a universal application to everybody. Oh, and by the way, if you want this so-called wealth that's supposedly being covenantally promised to you, well, then you got to be obedient to all that's written in the book of the law. How you doing? Is simply know our covenant rights. And this is why I'm coming to you week by week with a fresh teaching on this. Yeah, it's, you got to know your covenant rights. You have a covenant right to wealth. But now we have to obey the Lord because without obedience, we cannot win. God cannot do a thing for us. So it says in Deuteronomy 29, verse 9, keep therefore the words of this covenant. Out of context, this covenant would be the covenant of Sinai, not the covenant of promise given to Abraham which was a guardian leading us to Christ, and which, by the way, Christ has fulfilled this for us. To them ...that you may prosper in all you do. So prosperity is not an accident. Prosperity is keeping the word of God and keeping the covenant. Oh, yeah, super simple. Anybody can do it if they just apply themselves. Because the key to walking in victory in these days and the future is 
our covenant relationship with God. And remember what it says in Psalm 89, verse 34. God cannot break his covenant with you. It's impossible. There's just no way. It says, my covenant will I not break, nor... Boy, he is a slick Bible twister, isn't he? ...alter the thing that's gone out of my mouth. It's impossible for the covenant that God made with you to be broken. That's impossible. Now, God's word is clear that when famine comes, and famine comes to the world all the time, troubles come here and there. But look what it says in, uh, in chapter 5 of Job. This is Job 5. I want to begin reading verse 19. It says, He shall deliver thee in six troubles. Yea, in seven there shall no evil touch thee. Notice, again, out of context, it, when you rip a verse out of context, you're creating a pretext for false teaching. He's not teaching us what Job really says. He's not teaching us what the book of Deuteronomy really says. He's ripping these verses out of context so that he can weave together his own theology, which, by the way, is this message that there's a coming wealth transfer, that you need to apply three keys to so that you can be in position for the wealth transfer that's coming. God will deliver you from every trouble that comes your way. Nothing can touch you. It goes on to say... Yeah, right. Um, how come Christians get sick and die and get in car accidents and, you know, have money stolen from them or robbed or things like that? Hmm, nothing can touch me. Hmm, really? In famine, he shall redeem thee from death. In war and from the power of the sword. So when there's famine... It cannot touch you. War will never touch you. Thou shalt be here. Mm -hmm. Time for another gratuitous uh, <clears throat> musical break. You can't touch this. You can't touch this. You can't touch this. You can't touch this. My, 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 my music hits me so hard. Makes me say, So uh, you can't touch this. Okay, we got it. Right. Sorry. Gratuitous uh, musical interlude there here at Fighting for the Faith. Yeah, I, we haven't had hammer time here at Fighting for the Faith. I thought that would be fun. <clears throat> we continue. From the scourge of the tongue, God will even protect you when people say things against you. Somebody say amen. Yeah. Neither shall thou be afraid of destruction when it comes. At destruction and famine, thou shalt laugh. 
neither shall thou be afraid of the beasts of the earth. Now, this is God's amazing promise that when destruction comes and when trouble comes, it yeah, out of context, not affect you whatsoever. Remember the psalmist in Psalm 91, and we all love that psalm. Another verse out of context. Boy, he's uh, really quick at weaving these all together. It makes it look like a biblical teaching, though, doesn't it? 91, he that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. And then it says this in verse 3, Surely he shall deliver thee from the snare of the fowler and from the noisome pestilence. No pestilence can touch you. No Man, I mean, what's out, again, nothing can touch you. You can't touch this. You know? Nothing can affect your life because God has blessed you. You are his covenant child. Now, as a covenant child of God, get ready. Apparently, this is the old covenant. For an amazing miracle to take place really? in your life. No. And that's going to happen very quickly. Okay. There is coming a wealth transfer on planet Earth. No, really? Oh, I've been waiting for one of these, man. I've heard about these before, but never been a part of one. There's a wealth transfer coming? Oh, how do I get in? And I want you as God's son, as God's daughter, as God's child to get ready for it. The Bible says in Proverbs 28, 20, that the faithful man, the faithful person will abound with blessings. As we remain faithful, God will honor his word. God will always honor his word. Mm, yeah. So the, in other words, his word is a wage. You know, you do this, then God will do that. This is a quid pro quo, not grace. This is all works. It's all law. But he's looking for us to be faithful. Jesus said in Luke, if you cannot be faithful with money, who can trust you with true riches? Yeah. So, you know, show me who can, you know, give me some money so I can be trusted with the, the good stuff. Who can commit to your trust? True riches. That's that that amazing wealth transfer that's coming one day. Oh, wow. Yeah, wealth transfer. And I believe the Lord meant when he said true riches, not only the, the anointing of the spirit, which is true, true riches. That's the real rich. That's the real riches, I should say, of heaven. The invisible part of God. There's, there's nothing greater. Yeah, that's some rich stuff right there. But I believe he also meant the wealth transfer. Oh, yeah. yeah. He obviously meant the Holy Spirit, but he also meant the wealth transfer. Wow, what a Bible teaching this is. And I believe this is what the Lord spoke about when he spoke of it in Luke 6.38. Luke 6.38 talks about the big wealth transfer coming. He said, give, it shall be given unto you. Now, listen. Oh, yeah. See, that's, I never knew that was about the wealth transfer to the words, good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over shall men give to your bosom. I don't think we've, we, we, we have seen that kind of harvest yet. Oh, yeah. When's it coming? The kind of harvest that where it shall be given unto you, good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. That kind of prosperity is in the future because that is that wealth transfer. I mean, God has blessed us in many ways, but that promise of Luke 6.38. Yeah, Luke 6.38 is talking about the big promise of the wealth transfer coming. Who knew? I don't think we have seen it uh, in completion. We have not seen the fullness of it yet. Uh-huh, yeah, fullness. Yeah, you're full of something, that's for sure, because Luke 6 
has nothing to do with a wealth transfer. If you don't believe me? Let's uh, take a look in our Bible here. It's in Luke chapter 6. Now, what did he say? Luke 6.38, right? Yeah, that's where the big wealth transfer is. Um, yep, there it is. Given it will be given to you, good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over will be put into your lap. Got it. Let's Well, let's put this back into uh, context. All right, Luke 6, verse 32. If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even the sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. But love your enemies. Do good. Lend expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High, for for he is kind to the ungrateful and to the evil. Be merciful, even as your Father is merciful. Judge not, and you will not be judged. Condemn not, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. A good measure pressed down and shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. Hmm. Um. Yeah. Uh, Luke six thirty eight isn't talking about no upcoming wealth transference. When you put it back in context, um. Yeah. Are you using some kind of X ray goggles to uh, look at the biblical text to see things in the text that ain't there? That's coming. The Bible makes it very clear in Job. 22. I want you to turn. Oh, another another verse out of context. So Job 22 apparently has something to do with Luke 6:38 about the coming wealth transference. To this amazing portion of God's word. And and there's three keys that we are given in this chapter on on what must we do to prepare for this amazing wealth transfer. So Job 22 is giving you the keys that you need to apply so that you can prepare for the Luke 638 wealth transfer. It says in Job 22, beginning at verse 21, Acquaint now thyself with him, and be at peace. Thereby good shall come unto thee. Receive, I pray thee, the law from his mouth, and lay up his words in thine heart. Hmm. You know, um, I was looking at the context of Job 22, didn't see anything there about these are the things that you need to apply in order to get ready for the wealth transfer. Yeah, context, context, context. Um, Luke 22, verse 12. Is not God high in the heavens? See the highest stars, how lofty they are. But you say, what does God know? Can he judge through the uh, deep darkness that clouds veil him so that he does not see and he walks on the vault of heaven? Will you keep the old way the wicked men have trod, they were snatched away before their time. Their foundation was washed away. They said to God, depart from us, and what can the Almighty do to us? Yet he filled their houses with good things, but with the counsel of the wicked is is far from me. The righteous see it and are glad. The innocent one mocks at them, saying, surely our adversaries are cut off, and what they left the fire has consumed." Agree with God and be at peace thereby. Good, 
uh, thereby good will come to you. Receive instruction from his mouth and lay up his word in your heart. If you return to the Almighty, you will be built up. If you remove injustice far from your tents, if you lay gold in the dust and gold and no fear among the stones of the torrent bed, then the Almighty will be your gold and your precious silver. Hmm. I didn't see anything there in Job 22 in the context that flagged this as the three keys that you need to apply in order to prepare for the Luke 6.38 wealth transfer. Furthermore, um, if you're familiar with Job, the the book itself, uh, Job's an interesting book, and you have to read it carefully because Job has three comforters, and I'm using air quotes here. He has three comforters that give really, really bad advice. In fact, these guys don't understand God's mercy and grace and are trying to convince Job that he's committed some evil that has made him responsible to be judged by God and lose everything that he had. But Job knows his innocence and knows that uh, he stands righteous before the Lord and has not, and there's nothing he needs to repent of. And so over and again, Job's comforters are giving him some bum advice, you know, along the lines of the quid pro quo. You you do this, then God will do that. Come on, just admit it, Job. You you messed up here. You earned God's wrath. That's why all this terrible stuff happened to you, right? And we know that that's not what happened because in the opening portion of the book of Job, we find out that Job was, uh, he lost everything, not because he had done anything wrong, but because he was righteous before the Lord and Satan wanted to test him. This was ba- Job's kind of caught in the middle between God and Satan. And uh, Satan uh, wanted, he basically told God, listen, I'll take everything away from him, destroy his life, and then he'll curse you. That was, so there's kind of a bet going on between uh, God and, uh, and Satan. And so here in Job 22, it's important to note that this is not Job speaking in verse 21. This is the miserable, poor excuse for a comforter, uh, the friend of Job named Eliphaz, the the Temanite. Mm -hmm. In other words, what you're hearing in Job 22 is plausible-sounding religious arguments that actually pan out to be false. So, mm -hmm. I don't generally use applications from the passages of Job spoken by Job's comforters. I try to avoid them like the plague since they didn't know what they were talking about. And it turns out Job did know what he was talking about. So Job 22, verse 21, spoken by Eliphaz, the comforter of Job. Hmm, weird. It's interesting when you put things back in context how easy it is to see somebody who's twisting God's word here. (laughs) According to Benny Hinn, though, this is all about preparing for the wealth transfer. Then verse 23 says, If thou return to the Almighty, thou shalt be built up. Thou shalt put away iniquity far from thy tabernacle. And then verse 24 gives us the promise of prosperity. Then shalt thou lay... Yeah, so here's the promise of prosperity from Eliphaz, the Temanite, the um, miserable comforter of Job. Up gold as dust as the gold of Ophir, as the stones of the brooks. Yea, the Almighty shall be thy defense, and thou shalt have plenty of silver. Now, this is not talking about poverty. 
This is talking about a time of amazing prosperity. No, it's not, because Eliphaz turns out to be wrong. Well, the Bible says, you will lay up gold as dust. How many people? Yeah, that's what that's what Benny Hinn wants to do. He wants to lay up gold like dust. This is a thought that has him captivated. How many people do you know that have so much gold? And, and as the gold of Ophir, the best kinds. Yeah, the best kind of gold. <laughs> you would know about that, too, I bet. The stones of the brooks, he said, you'll have so much gold, it'll be like, like stones, like, like rock. You'll be built up. The Almighty will be your defense. And you'll have plenty of silver. Now, this is amazing to me. That God Oh, yeah, it's amazing to him. Gold and silver like dust. I can hardly, I can just, I can't wait. Almighty is going to prosper us in that fashion where you're going to... Yeah, Job 22 is not a promise for us. ...have that kind of prosperity in your life. What must we do? Okay, here's the three keys. Number one... Yeah, here's the three keys. Okay, if you want gold like dust, here's what you got to do. Number one... Acquaint yourself with God. Okay, all right. Hi, God. I'd like to introduce myself. My name is Chris. Uh, let's get acquainted because I really want to get to the gold dust thing. That's the first key. The first key is get to know the Lord. So that you can have the gold like dust. The first key is walk with him. Jesus said, seek ye first the kingdom of God's righteousness. Look to him first. Put God first in your life. Get acquainted with him. So that you can have gold like dust. Walk with him. Love him with all your heart. That's the first key. And remember what it says also. In Proverbs 8, 21, it says that I may cause those who love me to inherit substance. Yeah, notice he, he doesn't know the gospel. God wants to bless those who love him. If you love the Lord and put him first, you will prosper in all you do. Yeah, well, good luck. I'm sure that's really easy to do. It says so in Deuteronomy 29, verse 9. All right, done, just done, done, done. <laughs> You see how it happens? You just rip a few verses out of context, weave together some kind of a formula that somebody has to follow, and keep it simple, like down the three steps, you know? And uh, and whammo blammo, then you, they can uh, participate in the fictional thing that you've made up, like the upcoming wealth transfer. Mm-hmm. For the love of money, this is what's going on. He's uh, making merchandise of people, stealing money from the sick and the old, and promising him things the scripture doesn't promise and if he doesn't repent man is he gonna have some explaining to do when jesus shows up that's all i gotta say all right we're up on our second break if you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of fighting for the faith you can do so on my email address talk back at fightingforthefaith.com you're gonna have to be my friend on facebook it's facebook.com forward slash pirate christian you can follow me on twitter my name there at pirate christian uh, we'll be right back. Sermon review after this break. We're well into hour number two. We'll be right back. Jesus did not die for your 401k. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. This is the air I breathe. This is the air I breathe. 
I've had enough of this sissy, frenzy, turning photo written music you have the audacity to call worship. Men, put this entire girly praise band in the boo box. Let's wheel in the organ and get some real worship music underway. Ye be listening to Pirate Christian Radio. Keep more of your money in your pocket. Hi, Chris Roseborough here. If you're planning to travel anytime in the near future, then don't pay more for airfare, hotel rooms, or rental cars than you need to. Longtime Pirate Christian Radio featured advertiser Cheap O Air can save you a Tijuana taxi load of money on all of your travel needs. Plus, Cheap O Air has a seasonal promotional code for all of our listeners that will save you an additional $10 off of Cheap O Air's already low prices. Visit piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap, write down the promo code, and then click on the banner and then book your travel today. Again, that's piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap. Okay, we're back. Uh, we're well into hour number two here at Fighting for the Faith. Sermon review time. From the same church that brought us butt prints in the sand. Oh, man. Wait till you hear this one. The good, the bad, and the ugly. We review it all here at Fighting for the Faith. We're an equal opportunity sermon reviewing service. Today's sermon comes to us via Destiny Christian Center, Dell City, Oklahoma. Lawrence Nescent, a.k.a. Pastor Dude, presiding. The name of the sermon, Jesus Wants You to Stop Whining. I, the, oh man, this doesn't sound like a very kind Jesus at all. Stop whining. Yeah, well, well, you know, we talk about you know doctors and we rate them based on their bedside manner. You know, the kind and caring doctors. You know, they have good bedside manner, and the ones that don't have good bedside manner are a little bit gruff, kind of uncaring, somewhat callous. Um, think, just think carefully here about what kind of pastor this guy is. It becomes pretty apparent really early on. By the way, if you want to see the butt prints in the sand video, it's at a little 11com and um, 
and the logo they, they made into a T-shirt for the <laughs> sermon series. Jesus wants you to stop whining. Yeah, it looks like a really kind Jesus there too. That's available at a little11.com. So, uh, without any further ado, let's uh, dive into our sermon review. Uh, the name of the sermon again: Jesus wants you to stop whining. Here we go. Lord help. Wear a size medium T-shirt. Come on. Do we have any size medium people back there? Oh, Donna, come. You're the only one. Terrific. Jesus wants you to stop whining. Yeah, he's giving away Jesus wants you to stop whining T-shirts to people at the um, church. We continue walking on sunshine in this particular focus with Jesus wants you to stop whining. I know we've run out of uh, sizes in some of the shirts and the two different colors because people have been snatching those up. So we're considering the idea of maybe ordering some special order. We've had several people inquiring and... um, so uh, we will, have we decided on that yet, Pastor Nathan? <clears throat> we haven't decided yet. Somebody can let me know maybe by the end of service. Pastor Chris will be concluding. Someone can let him know and he can explain at, at the conclusion what we're going to do. But today we're going to press in on this. Take your, no, your notebooks, pass them down, take out your note card. And uh, I'm going to walk you through just a little bit of week two of this series. Jesus wants you to stop whining. I mean, believe it's true. Have you done a better job not whining this last week? I've thought about it. I've had to focus a couple of times. So we're all a bunch of three-year-olds, and Jesus wants us you know, to sit in the back of the car on the family vacation and stop whining. Got it. But I have thought about it. I, and I shared one of the stories last week was the guy in the pickup that slowed down and uh, made me, you know, when I start to go around and then he'd speed up and then I'd get behind him and then he would slow down. And, uh, and I was driving into prayer Tuesday morning. You know, we have six o'clock prayers early. And uh, as I'm driving down the road, there's this white pickup in front of me that slows down. And when I start to go around, he speeds up and then uh, I get behind him and he slows down. And I was thinking to myself, I am having a nightmare. And then I realized it was actually my brother messing with me after having heard the story. He was coming into prayer also. So I was able to regain my composure and not do anything embarrassing. Jesus wants you to stop whining. Attitude accounts for 85% of career advancement. Mm, Well, there's some practical advice there. Yeah, I, I want my career to advance. So I just need to change my attitude and stop whining because that's what Jesus wants me to do. Okay. People who are skilled and better at the job than you will be overlooked if you will focus on having a kingdom attitude. And oh, this is great stuff. So, you know, if you if you are in one of those office corporate settings and there's somebody more qualified than you for the, that coming position that, you know, in management and, and and you're thinking, man, there is just no way I'm going to get that management position. Don't worry. Jesus wants you to stop whining. And as soon as you have that kingdom mentality, you can totally like cut in front of the people who are better qualified for that <laughs> position. <sighs> that honors the Lord. A positive attitude. People don't have a whining problem. People have a worship Problem. We addressed this last week, so I won't go into too much of all of this again. But it is important that we understand. Yeah, if you have, a, you know, you don't have a whining problem, you got a worship problem. So you better start worshiping and stop whining, okay? Because Jesus wants you to stop whining. Uh, 
we're not dealing with a whining problem. We're dealing with a worship problem. Our text has been Luke chapter 10, 38 to 42. Martha welcomed Jesus into her home. She had a sister called Mary who was seated at the Lord's feet. Listening to his word, Martha was distracted with all her preparations. Martha was distracted. And she said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the serving alone? Then tell her to help me. The Lord said, Martha, Martha, you are worried and bothered about so many things. Some of us really. So Luke 38 through 42, the takeaway, the application is quit whining. Man. Just need to hear the Lord today. You are worried and bothered about so many things. Raise your hand if that's you. You've been worried and bothered by so many things. And only one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good part, which shall not be taken away from her. Jesus wants you to stop whining. In the original Greek, had to be there somewhere, surely. Uh, and what we determined from this, we don't have a, worse, a whining problem. We have a worse. And did you notice the part about... About uh, Mary sitting at the feet of Jesus and listening to him. Um, it's like you missed the punchline. It's like telling a joke only partway through and then missing the punchline. The punchline is about Mary choosing to listen to Jesus. That's the better thing. <sighs> Problem. And the big phrase for us last year was when you're distracted from worship, you are prone to complain. When we are distracted from worship, we are prone to complain. Yeah, so stop being distracted from worship. You, know, you better worship all the time so that you'll stop complaining because Jesus wants you to stop whining. Okay, thanks, Jesus. In every situation, if we'll make a choice to give our hearts to the Lord and surrender completely to Him, then that attitude of worship will actually destroy and defeat everything else that's trying to invade our lives. It's such an important aspect for us as Christians to learn to dwell and live in the presence of God. In the All law, no gospel. presence of the Lord, there is fullness of joy. If we're lacking fullness of joy somewhere, we've lost the presence of God. If you're praying, you're not sinning. If you're sinning, you're not praying. Oh, man. Really? This is the Pelagian heresy. So you you don't sin because you pray and worship all the time? Uh-huh. Right. Not always to pray and not to faint. Luke 18, 1. If you're praying, you're not fainting. If you're fainting, you're not praying. These are all important ideas for us as Christians that we put them into practice, that we set our face toward heaven and devote ourselves completely with our heart uh, unto him. And, and the, the title today... Law, law, law. ...that I want to focus on is Worry Makes Wine. The more we worry, the more we whine. Worry makes wine. I don't know if you heard, but uh, somebody, when they sat on the grape, very large person sat on the grape, what did the grape say? Nothing. He just let out a little wine. What worries you... <laughs> what wor <laughs> I, I, liked, I just thought I'd throw it in there because I liked it so much. Uh, what worries you will master you. <clears throat> If you let it worry you, you will let it master you. If it can worry you, it will master you. you. You know what I'm talking about. It will own you. If it worries you, it will own your affection. If it worries you, it will own the resources of your life. Very important. Worry makes wine. If it worries you, it will own the energy 
that you should be putting to other things. It owns it. It's completely mastered by whatever it is that you've allowed to take and hold your faith hostage. And that's what's really taking place. Don't lose your peace if you don't get the parking spot. Don't lose your peace if the repairman doesn't show up when he's supposed to be there. And now it's going to throw your day into a, a something you weren't expecting. Don't lose your peace. It's just not worth it. Life is full of enough big deals without our making little things into big deals to add to the truly big deals. We just don't need them. Go ahead. Let's join together and declare that. We don't need more big deals going on. It's like a scolding, man. Worry, and I, you know, I've just been reading a lot of articles and things on worry this last week, pondering and listening to uh, people that have done all kinds of research of how to help people get beyond worry. Worry just holds so many people completely hostage in life. But this is so uh, bizarre when you start to think about what worry truly is in our lives. And worry is much like a rocking chair. It gives you something to do but doesn't really accomplish anything at all. And so we don't want that in our lives. We want to be productive. But I, I really thought about this aspect and, and the phrase that, that I want you to write the blank in because uh, this is really an important aspect of, of recognizing, conquering uh, worry by the presence of God is that the peace of God does not come from the absence of problems. The peace of God comes from the presence of God. Now, we would rather have the absence of problems than the presence of God in some instances of, of being human, just in all honesty. We just, whatever it takes, Lord, get rid of this problem. But God's not finished with showing you whatever he's showing you through that season of your life. And so he's not willing to take that thing away uh, until we walk out the process of that season. And you know, the word is brokenness today. The word is brokenness. Jer mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, is this a biblical teaching? Why, why don't you have a Bible open and and, you know, teaching from a particular passage, you know, exegeting. Showed me a text that came from Jason, our, uh, the man on the sticks this morning. He stepped out this service, probably in one of the future ones to this morning. But, but uh, he sent him a message and said uh, that he had a word for this morning, and it was a word of brokenness. Now, I didn't see that before I was sharing with you what I was telling you, and Derek was saying what Derek, but do you start to get a theme here? Do you, are you understanding God's starting to reveal something here? God's in this this morning, that we would pay attention to what it means to lose ourselves and the purposes of God, to lay down our agendas, because our agendas can really mess us up if we allow our agendas to prevail in our lives, to take ourselves off of the throne that it's so easy for us to sit on and allow Jesus to be on the throne. That's really what begins to position everything in our lives right seek you first the kingdom of god and then all the important stuff will be added to you you don't have to chase them uh, no, no 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 that's not what that text says uh matthew six thirty three says seek first the kingdom of god and his righteousness not your own you you skip that part you're making it sound like we have to seek our righteousness and then god will give us stuff the righteousness of God is given to us by grace through faith. I just read it in Galatians chapter 3 and 4. Um, hmm. Yeah, this is all pure works righteousness. And it's really bad stuff you seek first the kingdom of god surrender completely to the king king jesus and then all the stuff starts getting added to your life and it's a focus of priorities it's a focus of worship it's a focus of surrender 
rather than wasting all of those resources on worry. Peace comes from the presence of God, not the absence of problems. Very important. Peace comes from the presence of God, not the absence of problems. I pondered this and, and just thought about when the sun is sitting, we are furthest away from the light. And when we are furthest away from the light, little things are given a big shadow. When we're furthest away from the light, little things are given a big shadow. And when, uh, which, by the way, is not a proverb. I mean, he, this isn't found in the Bible. We are in the center of his will, surrendered completely to what God's desiring to do. Surrender completely. Good luck on that. Um, hmm. The shadow just kind of disappears beneath us. You understand? There is no shadow there. And worry just casts a big shadow to little things. And Jesus is bigger than the stuff. Jesus is bigger than the mountain. The mountain can't hold your faith hostage if you're not focusing on the mountain. If you're focusing on Jesus and on how big God is, then we don't rehearse our mountain to God. We rehearse our God to our mountain. And our mountain simply becomes this thing that we're able to more than conquer and step beyond. But we have to get this presence of God thing right. I love the Good News translation of Psalm 16:8, and I'm going to challenge you to memorize this verse this particular week as your action point today. But Psalm 16:8 says, I am always aware of the Lord's presence. I am always aware of the Lord's presence. That is very important. I am always aware of the Lord's presence. He is near and nothing can shake me. Peace does not come from the absence of problems. Peace comes from the presence of God. Do you think that by repeating that phrase over and again that that will somehow magically turn it into a biblical teaching? Storms come your way and situations you begin to encounter that seem monumental and overwhelming beyond your capability. Guess what? That's when you start to rely on His capability. That's the whole thing with brokenness. It never was about your ability. It was only about your availability. Somebody told me last week, you yell a lot when you preach. And I said, Jesus wants you to stop whining. <laughs> you doing okay? Behind every sin we commit is a lie we believe. Uh, that's what Rick Warren teaches, um, that we commit sins according to Scripture because we are, well, we're by nature sinners. We sin because we're sinners. It, sinning is not a matter of just making bad decisions. We make those bad decisions because our flesh, our sinful flesh that we've inherited from Adam and Eve is corrupt. We have tested positive for the disease, the illness, the virus called sin. That's why we sin. It's not just a matter of removing, you know, bad thinking or stinking thinking or the lies of the devil. It takes a lot more than that. Uh, oh, man. I want to beat my head against something. He's the father of deception, isn't he? Boy, the enemy just constantly tries to sift us into this place. Behind every 
behind every sin we commit is a lie we believe. We misappropriate resource as a misdirected uh, perspective in our lives. It's a, it's a lie that we've believed. The fear of being alone can lead you to misappropriate major resources to online dating. The fear of being uh, uh, what? <laughs> okay. So the lie of the devil is fear of being alone, and the sin that you commit is uh, dedicating large financial resources to online dating. I had no idea that was a sin. Rejected can lead you to misappropriate lots of dollars and cents to all kinds of fashion and style. Misappropriate, you know, like, you know, giving 10% of your money to a church that doesn't preach the gospel. And talk about a misappropriation. You know, and, that, and that's all based on a satanic lie. I'd, I'd say that for sure. It's just bizarre, but there's always something underlying what's going on. You know, I, I had somebody talk with me once and say, you know, we need to, we need to really address the issue of, of giving and, and how people give and, and the tithe and the offering in the church. And, and they said, but what we need to do is address the deeper issue because the issue really isn't are you giving or are you not. There's something behind that. There's something deeper. Yeah, that would be your sinful nature. Isn't that always the case in our lives? If there's some area in our lives that we've not brought into the Lordship of Christ, we've fortified some argument. To some area of our life we haven't brought to the Lordship. Uh-huh. Again, do you got any verses for this language that you're speaking? Hold God out and to hold any counsel anybody has out so that we can keep our position. God forbid that he intervene and get in that situation and tear down all the walls and the monuments that we've built out of our emotional behaviors, out of our ways of thinking over the course of years. God forbid that we allow that to happen because then we'll really become everything God wants us to be. And the truth is the enemy does not want that to happen in your life. The enemy's trying to get you to fortify and dig in in every area. I don't need Jesus. I don't need his intervention. I don't need his power. But I believe today there's... Do you need his forgiveness? Can we talk about his shed blood on the cross? You know, what What exactly do we need Jesus for again here? Spirit of brokenness that God wants to bring into our hearts. Available to him. Come on, let's hiss the enemy away. We just hiss the enemy away. Yeah, that'll get rid of him. Just hiss him away. Go away, Satan. With the clapping of our hands, according to Job 27, we declare victory in the name of Jesus. Oh, now we're declaring victory. Oh, boy. In our lives as we surrender to you, Lord. Knowing the truth keeps our resources under the Lordship of Christ. And whining is when we reduce. How are you getting any of this from Luke chapter 10, verses 38 through 42? I'm just not getting it. Creative resources to complaints rather than constructively working through whatever the situation has, is that has come our way. <clears throat> you know, if you uh, look at Joel chapter 2, we say this verse all the time, let the weak, and, and you would normally finish it, but what we know it doesn't say is let the weak say, I wish I weren't so weak. Let the weak say, I'm tired of being so weak. It says what? Let the weak... Say, I am strong. Jesus wants you to stop whining. Really, that verse is saying, 
So the when let the weak say I am strong translation stop whining. Oh man, what seminary did you go to? Let the poor say I wish my bills weren't such a problem. I wish this mountain of debt weren't in my face. I wish someone says let the poor say I am rich. God wants us to change our perspective about our situation on the basis of who He is, not what's going on. Peace comes from the presence of God, not the absence of problems. I'm going to tell on uh, Pastor Paul's family. You know, uh, most of Yeah, because uh, you don't have any time to, you know, actually open up the Bible and read, you know, entire text in context. You know, Pastor Paul was on staff with us up to the end of the year last year. Now is uh, leading a church in Indiana, and, and we're a part of that ministry. It's great to be a sister church connected. And they're, by the way, their church is doing amazing. Uh, last Sunday, they had attendance of almost twice what they had the first Sunday of the year. Uh, that's phenomenal. So praise God. If you have connection with Pastor Paul on Facebook or whatever, send him a, a congrats. But I'm going to tell on him because uh, when he was here, he had this idea to revamp the sanctuary and do some things in here that, that really needed to be done. The carpet was tearing up and all the stuff that was going on. And, and he devoted uh, Thanksgiving break to, uh, to doing that. He canceled a trip to be with his family uh, in Christmas break to, to work on projects, church projects. And that meant his two little boys didn't get their break with their mom and daddy. They were up here while work was going on, and he was spearheading much of that. And so I, I started to realize that, and I just want you to know I'm very committed that our kids will never hate church. I'm committed that your kids will never hate church. That's why we do church in a way that is... Yeah, you preach all law, no gospel. It doesn't matter how good the music is. Enticing and attractive to the next generation. It's important to me. And in ministry, leadership, too many times you heard Derek talking about a pastor's kid. You know, I don't know what it's like to be a pastor's kid, but uh, my kids do, and... and and we don't put pressure on them, and we don't put pressure on your kids. And, and this is a place where we are free to be ourselves. Isn't that exciting? It's important. And so I found out... As long as you don't whine, because Jesus doesn't want you whining. Max and Charlie were very unhappy about all this. And so we took them out to eat. And I said, I want to take you wherever you boys want to go. I'd, I'd sit in front of Paul and Mayo, wherever you boys want to go. And they picked Incredible Pizza. So we went to Incredible Pizza, and, uh, and I had a special surprise for them. And I told them, I'm going to give you a special surprise at Incredible Pizza, and it's going to blow your mind. You're going to be so excited. And they talked about it for like two weeks. Every night, they'd go to bed, Dad, do you know what it is? What do you think it's going to be? And they were so excited about it. And we got there, and, uh, and I, I just got two pieces of chewing gum out of the house just to play a joke on them. We sat down. It had been this buildup for like two weeks. And I said, thank you for making the sacrifice. I wanted to bring you here and let you have uh, you know, dinner where you wanted to eat and, and give you these special gifts. And I put pieces of chewing gum in front of them. And their parents had actually coached them because they didn't know what I was going to do. And they had said, you know, if you're disappointed, don't show it. And so, so these two kids are looking at this gum, you know, like, thanks. <laughs> and they were trying to hold it back, but then I busted out laughing. And I actually pulled out of my pocket 100 $1 bills and counted them in front of Max and out of my other pocket, $101 bills, and counted them in front of Charlie. And, of course, their eyes were as big as plates. Uh, and they each got $100 in cash that day to say thank you for your sacrifice as kids, and we want you to love the ministry. It's a, it's a really healthy thing. And then we went and played games. How many of you have been to Incredible Pizza? It's called... Uh, so you, you bought them. Got it. Ghetto Town now or something. <laughs> 
And so it's good. Good place. And so <laughs> it's a good place. And so we went and played the games. And at the end of the game, do you understand? Now, I, we had taken them. Where do you want to eat? Wherever you want to go. Hundred bucks. There's like eight-year-old kids, you know. That's like a million. No, they won the lottery. And we finished the games. Everything was concluding. And they went over and Charlie didn't have enough tickets for a ten-cent plastic item. And he began to weep and cry. And his dad said, Charlie, that thing is worth 10 cents. It didn't matter. He couldn't get what he wanted. And he cried all the way out of the parking lot. He cried. He got in the car and he was crying. And I got in my car with Faith and Lexi. And I said, who in the car thinks Charlie's ridiculous? And everybody raised their hand. And then I said, who in the car understands we're all just like Charlie sometimes? And I said, cut him some slack. He's the youngest in the group. And even though he got to eat where he wanted and a hundred bucks, even though he got that, he didn't get his little plastic toy. But here we are living in America, totally blessed with every kind of a blessing that you can imagine in the world. And we're over some little bitty thing that didn't go our way like a parking spot or lost keys or the job I didn't get this time but you've had a job all your life because you're in a nation where we spend more money on diet programs than it costs to, to, to stamp out world hunger. World uh, pack your bags. We're going on a guilt trip. Hi. That's amazing. We spent $30 billion on diet programs trying to lose all this excess fat. Last year, and $30 billion solves world hunger, every family going... Do we, do, do we really think that this uh, equates to preaching of repentance for the forgiveness of sins? Yeah, no, no, not at all. Dying last night could be spared if we would translate that money. Come on. Let's don't, let's don't give Charlie a bad rap. Let's understand this is where we dwell every single day. Jesus wants you. Why don't you say it with me? Stop whining. You think Jesus' shed blood on the cross has anything to do with um, those temper tantrums you're describing here and misplaced priorities? You, you think forgiveness of sins might be an appropriate part of all of this? Or is Jesus going to just look at us with a stern face and just say, shut your pie hole and uh, stop whining? Is, is is that the kind of Jesus that uh, the Bible talks about? Because you really haven't opened the biblical text to tell us much about Jesus. So today, when you walk out to the parking lot and you take out your car key and you think to yourself, I wish I had a better car. I want you with tenacity and enthusiasm to say, it could be worse. It got you here today, right? Somebody was pulled over by the popo over here, I saw. <laughs> Hope that didn't take away from your tithe now. <laughs> Hold that key and say it could be worse. When you Yeah, I, you got a speeding ticket on your way to church. It better not affect your tithe. Thanks. Th thanks. Just appreciate that, Pastor Dude. <laughs> when you get home. And you go up to your door and you pull it in your house. Cue sappy music. I'm not hearing anything about a merciful and forgiving Jesus.
You're looking at your house. I mean, even the artwork for their T-shirt, you know, the uh, Jesus wants you to stop whining. I mean, he, he just looks angry and ugly and mean. I wish I had a nice house. I want you to, with tenacity and enthusiasm, say it. It could be worse. And when you wake up in the morning next to your husband and your wife. Yeah, that's the solution. Whenever there's a problem, just always think it could be worse. You could be lying on your deathbed with, you know, cancer. Don't worry. Just don't whine. Whatever you do, don't whine. Jesus doesn't want you to do that. You'll you'll get him upset. Uh, You know, just just look at Jesus and go, it it could be worse. Roll over. (laughs) And don't you even think about that. (laughs) (laughs) jesus wants you to stop whining Mm, yeah you know jesus wants you to be forgiven and i got verses that say that we'll end with this verse acts 319 therefore repent and return so that your sins may be wiped away oh we're gonna end with the gospel i didn't see that coming that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. All right, let's see what he does with this gospel verse. Peace comes from the presence of God, not the absence of problems. Lord. You're not going to talk. You're not going to highlight the gospel there, are you? Thank you for a great day. Okay, we're done. Hi! Wow. So Jesus wants you to stop whining, don't you? Whatever you do, don't whine in Jesus's presence. What a mean mean nasty jesus ain't anything like the jesus of scripture the one who it is written about that god demonstrates his love for us in that while we were yet sinners christ died for the ungodly he even died for whiners and that he's calling all men everywhere to be reconciled to god through his shed blood god making his appeal to the world through us So repent and be forgiven. Your great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, has bled and died for you in your place on the cross. The sins of the world were laid on him. He was pierced for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities. And the psalmist says that blessed is the one whom the Lord does not reckon his sin. So the idea is is that, well, the Jesus of Scripture is not some scolding self-help life coach basically telling you to just look on the bright side of life and say to yourself, I know things are bad, but they could be worse, and stop whining, you know, because that'll make them upset. No, even your whining and your ungratefulness and your refusal to see the blessings that God has given you, even all of that Jesus has died for. Repent and be forgiven. Your great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, bled and died for you. Sad that he didn't preach that, but then again, I'm not exactly sure if he really understands how that plays into Christianity. All right, we're at the end of another edition of Fighting for the Faith. Just a reminder, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you and your generous gifts and financial contributions to keep bringing this program to you. Visit our website and click on one of our friendly yellow buttons. Till tomorrow, may God richly bless you in the grace and mercy won by Jesus Christ and his vicarious penal substitutionary death on the cross for all of your sins. Amen.